Hi, everyone, and welcome to Behind the Numbers. My name is Dave Bookbinder. I'm a managing director at B. Riley Financial, and I'm also the author of the new ROI, Return on Individuals. And welcome to the program that digs deeper to understand what matters most in business. Today, we're going to be talking about an interesting topic regarding alternative investments, what they are, and why they matter in your investment portfolio. And I'm pleased to welcome today Brian Pham, who is Vice President of Investor Relations at Claris. Brian, welcome to Behind the Numbers. Thanks for having me, Dave. A pleasure. Why don't you tell the audience a little bit about who you are? Yeah, so uh, I've been working in the alternative investments industry for about the past half decade now. Uh, it's been about a year at Claris. Uh, before that, I was at a private equity firm for three years, focusing on lower middle market businesses, uh, looking for ways to improve them and aggregate them into a larger holding company. Prior to that, I was at an alternatives platform, providing access to RIAs and financial advisors to institutional investors, and started my career at J.P. Morgan in the wealth management industry. Right, and RIAs are registered investment advisors for folks who don't know the lingo, yeah? Yes, cool. registered investment advisor. Think about it as like an independent wealth manager as opposed to the wirehouses of J.P. Right. Morgan and Merrill Lynch. Gotcha. And what is Claris? Claris, if I remember correctly, it's a merchant services company, right? Correct. So, so what is merchant services? What does that mean? Uh, yeah, so essentially, if you're a merchant, whether that be a law firm or a pizza shop, you cannot go directly to the processor networks of Elevon, WorldPay, First Data, or go directly to the credit card networks of Amex, Visa, MasterCard to accept credit or debit card transactions. You need to go through what's called a merchant service processor, MSP or an ISO. All three of those terms are interchangeable. And at the core, that's what Claris's business is. We work with over 15,000 merchants throughout the United States, servicing them, making sure they're able to accept payments from all their different customers. So when I go into a pizza shop at the Jersey Shore over the summer and They've got that little square hujimafliggy thing, and that's how they swipe the credit card. Is that part of the merchant service card processing network? Um, yeah, so it, it depends. If they're using actual square, that, that software and technology, um, that is a competitor to the traditional merchant service processing space. So Square, PayPal, they cut out the merchant service processor and the processor networks when accepting credit and debit card transactions. Uh, so, but when you are when you're swiping your credit card at the shore uh, buying pizza, yes, there is some kind of processor uh, relationship there in order for that pizza shop to accept that payment. So, if you're the merchant, what's the difference then between accepting PayPal or Square as opposed to using someone like Claris? Yeah. So, first and foremost, it's going to be more expensive. So, if you've ever sent money to to a friends or family through, let's say, PayPal or Venmo, you'll notice on the bottom it says friends or family, where there's no fee, or if it's a business, there's a three percent fee. Uh. And typically, when you're working with a merchant service processor like Claris and going through the traditional processor networks, you're going to get a net fee that's significantly under 3%. Let's call it anywhere from 2 to 3% you're going to be paying. So you're going to be saving money typically going through a traditional merchant service processor. So that explains why sometimes when they uh, take my credit card, they say there's a 3% upcharge to use the credit card. Yes, that's, a, that's precisely why. I got you. Okay. So we're going to be talking about alternative investments here. And so let's try to figure out, help me to understand, how do we build this bridge from what Claris does into, we'll call it the investment space? Yeah. So, so my founder and CEO, Randy Tillum, uh, he started this business in 1999, uh, growing it organically, uh, building out a sales team originally headquartered uh, and still headquartered in Gaithersburg, Maryland. Eventually, we kept growing, growing. Fast forward now to 2015. He, started, he wanted to start growing by acquisition. Um, 
thanks to his dear friend at Ballard Spar, he decided, okay, let me start, let me launch a fund in order to start taking in friends and family capital to make acquisitions of other merchant service processor portfolios. So essentially the rights to the monthly residual income streams you get from having a book of business of underlying merchants. So for instance, if you work with a thousand merchants, that could be any, again, any kind of business that you can virtually think of, um, you're going to have the rights to every credit card swipe that they get for that month. And then two, three weeks later, um, you will then get all of, all the revenue from those credit card swipes for facilitating those transactions. Okay. We're going to have to dive deeper into that so that I can understand it and the audience can understand it. I've got a, a, enough to know to be dangerous at this point. But let, let me start by asking you, when we talk about alternative investments, what, what does that mean? Something that's not a, a stock or a bond? Correct. Um, so the traditional markets are, are typically the public markets of equities and bonds. Um, so uh, the traditional portfolio for a typical individual, um, most people say is the 60-40 model portfolio of 60% stocks and 40% bonds. Um, but as you, you know, the financial services industry continues to grow and evolve, now alternative investments, which are essentially any investments that's not stocks and bonds, um, is growing in part of everyday Americans' portfolios. And why is that? Why, why are alternative investments popular and why, why is it important to have in the portfolio, Brian? Yeah, I would say the most important part of getting into alternative investments is what you call uncorrelated returns. Essentially what that means is you're not worried about the volatility or the ups and downs of the stock market, um, as well as you're not worried about necessarily as much as where interest rates are for, let's say, fixed income. I got you. All right. And do you have any recommendations as to what percentage of somebody's portfolio should be involved in alternative assets? Yeah, a lot of financial advisors that we work with uh, put l roughly anywhere from 10 to 20% of alternatives into their clients' portfolios. Um, a lot of endowments and institutional investors, such as pension plans, you'll see upwards of 50% in alternative investments. Actually, Duke's endowment this year uh, returned about 56% because of their heavy allocation to alternative investments, such as private equity and venture capital. Uh, you also have hedge funds, real estate, and various other strategies that go into the alternatives bucket. Okay. Let's get back to the area that left me just a little bit confused for the moment here. Uh, tell us how you actually then facilitate creating an investment out of those, as you call them, credit card swipes. Yes. Uh, so essentially what we're doing is we're buying up merchant service processor portfolios. So other versions of Claris, they've built up a book of business over the years servicing thousands of, of merchants. And those thousands of merchants do lots of revenue, monthly revenue, and we get a small portion of, of the revenue automatically for, again, facilitating all of those transactions through the processors of Elevon WorldPay First Data. Mm -hmm. And also acting as a customer service for, for the underlying merchants. So if they have any problems with their credit card terminals, APIs, the websites, uh, the merchant service processors is who they're gonna call, not the processor network. So we're, we're helping them you know, complete business and do business with their customers. So then you package those cash flows in some fashion as a, a, a bond, I guess? 
Um, so what we're doing is we're going to be buying these portfolios from the other MSPs or agents at MSPs. So you can think about the agents as a financial advisor at a wealth management firm is, is something I like to correlate it to. And so we're buying the, the, the rights to those underlying cash flows. Now those cash flows can fluctuate because um, at the end of the day, the portfolios are at the mercy of the underlying merchants. So there, it's not like a private equity firm where we can roll up our sleeves, cut costs, um, you know, add, add more resources sources to solve the problem, at the end of the day, you want to make sure you have good merchants that have good same store sales growth and that are diversified. Um, so you're looking for key diversifications in industries as well as geographically. Gotcha. Brian, for folks who are watching and listening want to learn more about you, how they can get involved in alternative investments, how can they reach out to you? Yeah, so they can reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm on that social network as well as my email address is brian with a y dot fam at claris, C-L-A-R-U-S, dc.com. Awesome. We've only got a couple of minutes to go here in this first segment, but I just want to understand uh, the due diligence process. It sounds like you've got to do some serious vetting of these portfolios before they become part of the investment strategy. Talk a little bit about that in, in just a couple of minutes. Yes. So our team has, has over two decades of experience each. So three people that have been in the industry for decades. A lot of people know our team very well, whether they work with them in the past, work for them in the past, done deals with them in the past. So a lot of times we'll get a lot of proprietary deal flow, meaning they're not going to go through a sell-side advisor or MSP investment banker, whatever you want to call it. Um, so they'll say, hey, I'm, I'm retiring or I'd like to sell my portfolio to maybe buy another portfolio that has different diversifications in different areas or industries. Um, there's a number of reasons they might want to sell, but they'll come directly to us because they trust us with their clients. Um, our core operating business is an A-plus rated business on their Better Business Bureau. So when you're dealing with Claris in terms of a payment processor in the MSP space, people love of working with us. So we'll get these deals um, that are not on the market. And then we'll also have our own proprietary software where we vet these portfolios and go through these what they're called processor commission files that provide all the different data and information of all the different transactions that, that those all those merchants within the portfolio did for that month. So we can see, is, it, is there a lot of concentration in what's called a material merchant, a, a merchant that has over 10% of revenue? Mm -hmm. Just like a stock, you don't want concentrated stock position, we don't want material merchants within our portfolio, very similar to that. So there's a lot of different things to do in terms of due diligence. You know, you wanna look at the monthly revenues, you know, how much is it fluctuating fluctuating, what's the standard deviation and volatility, uh, and then what's the merchant attrition? You know, How often are the merchants or the clients of this portfolio leaving the portfolio? Industry average is about 20%. Claris's across our portfolio is roughly 7%. So that means we're three times more likely to retain our merchants and our clients than our competition, again, because of our high-touch customer service that we're being able to provide the underlying merchants. Thank you. And that's a good spot to take a break. Brian, you sit tight. We're going to pause here, uh, run a few commercials, pay a few bills, and we'll be right back on Behind the Numbers after this quick break.
So, I'm kind of new here, but I've noticed a trend. My human does this funny thing where she goes around and gets all my toys, and then she hides them in that basket by the door. You know, but it's always the same basket, and it's always in the, in the same place. And then she acts so surprised when I find them, but, you know, she's putting them in the same basket. Again. It's like, hello? That's where you put it last time. You were the worst at hide-and-go-seek. Welcome back to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder, and today we're visiting with Brian Pham, who's a Vice President of Investor Relations at Claris. Brian, welcome back for round two here. I uh, want to pick up where we left off directly and, and want to understand what, why is it that this concept of alternative investments is not something that's in everybody's portfolio? I know that you work with a lot of folks, and they're unfamiliar with it. Why, why is that? Um, so there's a lot of hurdles to investing in traditional alternative investments of private equity, hedge funds, venture capital, and real estate. Um, so first and foremost, uh, they're typically high minimums because they're reserved for institutional or sophisticated investors, meaning their minimums are $5, 10000000 million sometimes. So even if you're a $20 million high net worth client, you're not going to want to invest five to 10 million out of your $20 million into one strategy. Uh, another thing is the long-term lockups. So a lot of times uh, individuals need liquidity um, to, in order to pay bills, mortgages, kids' college tuitions, whatever it may be. So these lockups can be seven to 10 years and then written in the fine print, it can say under GP's discretion, we could extend it out three times for one year each. So that's seven to 10 year investment could then become 10 to 13 years. Um, another thing is the high fee structure. A lot of the times these fund managers are charging what's called a two in 20 fee structure, which means they get a 2% management fee, essentially the fee that they get no matter what for the assets right. under management, and then 20% of the carried interest. So all the profits above a certain, typically a watermark, which means they need to hit a certain, let's say an 8% return. Anything above that, they get 20% of that fee as well. Wow. Um, so the, And then also the way that they call capital. A lot of times they'll have investors commit, let's say $5 million, but they won't call that money immediately, meaning that the underlying investor has to put $5 million on the sideline ready for the GP to call them up and call the capital and to deploy it. So they can call, you know, 2 million and then uh, for the first year and then 3 million the next year. So it's it's really not fair to the limited partner to kind of wait to deploy their capital. So those are a few of the hurdles. What kind of returns have you gotten in these portfolios historically? Yeah, so what we try to do is we try to simplify all of those hurdles that I just mentioned for alternative investments. So meaning we want to give our investors a defined lockup period, so anywhere from two to four years. And depending on how long that they lock up their money for, they're going to be compensated for that illiquidity premium, meaning they're going to get more return for how long that they lock it up. So our investors get anywhere from 9 to 15% annualized yield hmm. um, with monthly cash flows. Um, as I mentioned, 
mentioned earlier, these MSP portfolios provide monthly residual income, which allows us to provide monthly distributions to our investors. So th this is not something that someone's going to pick up just by going to Vanguard's website or Fidelity for like a typical mutual fund investor. So if they're working with somebody who's managing their money, how, how do the investment advisors, for example, you mentioned RIAs at the top of the program, how do the RIAs work with you in getting these investments into their clients' portfolios? So a lot of times the, what the advisor will do is, one, they're going to handle all of the due diligence on behalf of their client. Um, we only work with fiduciaries that are concerned with providing the best asset allocation for their client's needs. So again, a lot of times clients need this monthly cash flow that our strategies have uh, able to provide. So that's what we're going to be able to provide them on that side of, of their client's portfolio. Okay. Let's, let's talk a little bit about the downside, right? So we've got really good returns here, 9 to 15%. Those are equity-like returns, and it doesn't come without risk, right? Correct. So what are the risks here? So in my mind, I'm thinking maybe slow pay or defaulted uh, credit card payments, borrowers. But what are some of the risks here? So actually, defaulting credit card payments is not one of the risks here. Interesting. The reason being is because all of the revenues from our portion of the credit card swipes is done at point of sale. So essentially, uh, the industry average for the fee that the MSP or Claris in, the, in this example gets is roughly 41 basis points for every credit card swipe. For, for a $100 transaction, we're going to get 41 cents on that. So all of, all of those fees, that 41 basis points, is going to be held in an escrow account until the end of the month. And then after the end of the month, let's say for all of November, two weeks, three weeks into December, you will then get all of those fees um, from all the merchants that you're working with it within a portfolio. So, but the risks are essentially, one, people stop using credit and debit cards altogether. Highly unlikely. Right now, it's about an eight, nine trillion dollar industry. Um, and if you look at your own consumer spending habits when you're going to the grocery store, gas station, nine times out of ten, if not ten times out of ten, you're probably using a credit or I'm debit card. I'm pulling the card. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Um, and then an, another thing is is the risk is a merchant attrition that I mentioned earlier on the segment, um, where essentially all of the merchants and the clients of that portfolio end up leaving. So you want to do the best you can to retain those clients, um, and that's why. We're three times more likely to retain our merchants because of the high-touch customer service we're providing, but also because we've been around since 1999, have the infrastructure in place and the economies of scale, we're also able to put, beat our competitors' price nine times out of ten. Um, at the end of the day, this is a commoditized business where a lot of people are in merchant service processing. So people don't want to switch their merchant service processor if their current one can beat the price of someone that, you know, cold calls them or emails them to say, hey, I can offer you a lower price on your processing of your payments. So if an investor wants to get involved in something like this and maybe they're apprehensive about committing to something I'll call longer term, do you, what kind of structures do you guys offer uh, in terms of the investment horizon? Is there a short-term option? Yeah, so our, our core strategies are, are two to four years. We've been doing that since 2015. We've now made 82 consecutive monthly distributions to our investors. So consistent track record of uncorrelated returns and monthly cash flow. Um, we even have a nine-month note, um, which is a way for investors to dip their toe in the water. Mm -hmm. um, and that's actually open to non-accredited investors as well. Um, and that's because of the 1933 Act. Um, it's considered commercial paper because it's under 270 days. So people will often 
oftentimes start out with a nine-month note that provides 9% annualized yield, which comes out to a little under 7% over that nine-month period. And then they'll decide at the end of the nine months, do I want to reinvest into a longer-term strategy and get higher returns, or do I want to redeem for my principal? Um, the great thing about Claris, too, is we eat our own cooking, meaning we don't take on any management fees or transaction fees. Our investors are first to get the cash flows, um, so they're going to get their 9 to 15% first before Claris sees any of the returns from these underlying portfolios. Gotcha. Brian, tell the audience how they can connect with you if they want to learn more, if they're interested in investing with you. Yes. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, the social media website, as well as email me at brian with a y dot fam, P-H-A-M as in man, at clarisdc.com. Great. Thank you, Brian. I want to talk more generally now in terms of the current rate environment. And a lot of folks are currently trying to chase yield, right? For the folks who are looking for something that's secure, in a low interest rate environment, it's tough. Where, where do they go? I mean, there's obviously what, what you've described here as the alternatives, but what other things do you, do you see? Or, or I don't know if you're allowed to recommend, but what, what's your thoughts on this uh, chasing yields phenomenon? Yeah, I mean, everyone's chasing yield right now. And the reason being is because the current interest rate environment uh, in America. And so uh, investment grade bonds for you know household blue chip name companies like Microsoft, for instance, um, they're, they're yielding anywhere from one and a half to 3%. Um, I, I recently read that 90% of the global bond market yields 3% or less. Um, so obviously you're not getting much of a return on your public fixed income. Um, so a lot of people are looking to public equities to get dividend yields. Um, a lot of times you have limited partnerships in the public markets that can provide you know upwards of 8%, um, but they're not going to give you much capital appreciation and, and you're still uh, worried about the volatilities of the underlying stock market. So again, a lot of people have gone toward the alternative investment space, whether that be uh, private equity, private credit, real estate, um, as well as strategies like Claris, you're able to provide those uncorrelated returns and, and current income. And are the RIAs and other wealth managers that you work with embracing these alternative investments these days? Yes, I, I, a lot of the sophisticated RIAs have been investing alternative investments for decades. Um, a lot of them also have their own in-house vehicles where they're able to allocate to these large institutional man managers very similarly to like a Duke endowment. So on behalf of their you know clients, they can then invest in in all these different private equity and venture capital managers that their individual clients probably would not have access to on their own. So uh, more and more uh, financial advisors are gaining access to alternative investments as they continue to get democratized, as they continue to have lower in, uh, minimum investments and, and have all these different platforms that allow them to get access to institutional managers through structures called feeder funds, which essentially gives them uh, lower investment minimums to, to, to meet the uh, requirements of the underlying manager. Yeah. Now, you mentioned that it was kind of a recommendation uh, or maybe just a reality that uh, alternative investments represent between 10 and 20% of a portfolio. So it's, it's not a core asset. Uh, tell the audience why this adding this ostensibly riskier asset actually increases your diversification and perhaps lowers the overall risk of your portfolio. And we only have about five minutes to go in this segment, so don't, I don't want to take you down a rabbit hole. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so the keys that you want to uh, look at when you're looking at alternative investments is how uncorrelated it is to the market. So for instance, there might be some hedge funds that invest in public equities that might be very correlated um, to the stock market, which is not exactly what you want. Um, you want to make sure that in a down stock market or uh, where interest rates are low and, and bonds um, you know, aren't returning what they used to, that you're able to provide returns to your clients in something that's completely differentiated, um, whether that be the, the venture capital firm that's launching a new SaaS software, or whether that is a real estate firm that's focusing on multifamily uh, you know, all across the United States. So you want to look for these unique niche strategies that are doing something different. That's the key when you're looking at alternative investments and then doing the due diligence to make sure that th this team has the capabilities of, of doing what they say they are in their strategy and have a proven track record. Maybe talk to past investors or current investors about their experience of working with that alternative asset manager. So when we talk about uncorrelated investments and un un uncorrelated returns, it doesn't necessarily mean per se that if the stock market is going down, stocks are going down, that the alternative is necessarily going up. It may just mean that it doesn't go down as much or might it go down more? How, how does that work? Yeah, I, I would say it's something along those lines where sometimes they might go down, let's say, for a hedge fund. Maybe if the broader stock market goes down 10%, this hedge fund is able to only go down 2%. And on the flip side, for something, let's say, in, in private equity, venture capital, um, they might not be as worried about, you know, public market earnings, which, which fluct obviously fluctuate the S&P 500 and stuff like that. So working with managers that are doing something unique, as I said earlier, you know, doing something that doesn't really necessarily fit the mold of these traditional investments. That's what advisors should be looking for when putting in, in their asset allocation for their clients. That's awesome. And on that, I think it's a wrap. Brian, thank you so much for spending some time with us today and Behind the Numbers. It was a pleasure having you. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Dave. Appreciate uh, it. Awesome. And thank you for watching and listening to Behind the Numbers. We can't do this without you. My name is Dave Bookbinder, and I'm the guy that my clients call when they want to know what their most important assets are worth. If you'd like to connect with me, you can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. And until next time, take care, everybody. We'll see you again on Behind the Numbers.